Hello everyone, my name is Shanna Fold and I am the host of the Israel Daily News Podcast. Now I'm very excited, in just a few moments we are going to be joined by CEO Jonathan Greenblatt and what we're so excited about is to have the face of American Jewry speak to us about what Jews are going through right now in this period of time. I scheduled this interview with Mr. Greenblatt before the unfortunate hostage attack in Texas on Saturday. And because of this, our interview is even more pressing and important than ever before. Welcome to all of you who are joining us. Again, my name is Shanna Fold, and today we are going to be speaking with the CEO of the ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League, and it is one of the oldest anti-hate, anti-pro-Jewish, uh, against anti-Semitism organizations in the United States and we're going to be having a very important man join us soon. First I want to give you a little bit of background on myself and what we do. So my name is Shanna Fold and I am a journalist. I am from New York City, from Queens, New York, born and raised, moved to Israel just a few years ago and officially made Aliyah or claimed my Israeli citizenship just recently. And in fact, today I picked up my Israeli passport. So we are going to be speaking about issues of the American Jewish community, the global Jewish community, and we're going to tie it into what's going on here in Israel. And if Jews need to come to the lands of Israel, are they safe in the United States? And he has been talking about what Jews are facing in the United States and around the world. And he's going to be, hello. Can Hi, everyone hear me? Apparently there are some audio issues. Can you hear me, yeah. Mr. Greenblatt? I hear you just fine. Okay, great. If there are any more audio issues, everyone, please let me know. I have my headphones nearby, and I'll be able to put them in. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Greenbot. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Great. Now, I want to just give a brief introduction for those who are just joining in. Mr. Greenblatt is the CEO of the ADL. Jonathan, you can't call me Mr. Greenblatt. I will call you Jonathan. Can right. I call you Jonathan? I've been talking to you from Israel. You could do that, too. Congratulations on getting the passport and making Aliyah. Mazel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So Jonathan joined the ADL. He became the CEO in 2015. And he is right now giving a voice to Americans, American Jews in particular, and Jews all around the world. And I assume that that's a very difficult job, but we're going to be hearing from Jonathan on that soon. Jonathan just published a book a little more than a week ago. It just came out January 4th, is it, that it was published? Yes, January 4th. January 4th, the book came out called It Could Happen Here. And I read the book, and the intro starts in Germany. Jonathan goes to explore his roots. And it's very powerful in which he goes to a city where his grandfather was born and raised, never could imagine leaving Germany, a place where he fought for Germans in the war, and then had to create an entirely new family in the United States. And, of course, Jonathan, one thing that you've been talking about, I've been listening in on a lot of your interviews, is that you're married to a woman who actually had to flee what used to be called Persia, what is today called Iran. So you are dealing with Jews who've experienced persecution from all over the world. Is that right? Yes. I mean, my grandfather was Jewish and from Germany, like you said. My wife is Jewish and from Iran. 
and my grandfather's experience, the country, the only country that he ever knew, turned on him, right? Regarded him as any, destroyed everything that he loved and slaughtered almost his entire family, all of his friends, everything. And my wife, and he came to this country as a refugee. And my wife, again, her family from Iran, the only country they ever knew, it turned on them, destroyed everything that they ever loved, forced her to flee for her lives before she was slaughtered, and she came here as a refugee. And to think that the Jewish experience, a Jew from Germany 70 years ago, my wife from Iran, I don't know, 25 years ago, the same experience. And so what that tells me, Shanna, is today, like, we're foolish to think that what we've enjoyed in this country, the United States, which I call, would call the greatest democracy in the history of the world, the most durable, the most dynamic, and yet we're foolish to think that this all can't go away. That doesn't mean we should be terrified. It means we should be strong. That doesn't mean we should be afraid. It means we should have courage. It doesn't mean we shouldn't go to synagogue this Saturday. It means we should show up in shul. And so this book is giving Jews and others the strength, to re the awareness to realize it could happen here, and the strength, the, the, you know, I hope the inspiration to make sure that we, the best way to retain the rights we have in the United States is to fight for them. That's what this is all about. Okay, thank you so much. And I want to get back to that toward the end. I want to talk about what people in my generation, in my age category, can do on a day-to-day -to, -day to fight this. But I'm going to save that for the end so that people yep. can remember what they can do. What yep. I want to first remind everyone is that I am going to save 10 minutes at the end of our interview for questions. There's a little question box on the bottom right of your screen in Instagram. If you do have a question for Jonathan, please put it into the box, and I will try to get to all of them at the end. So if something comes up for you, keep it in mind. Now, again, my name is Shana Fold. I'm the host of the Israel Daily News Podcast. I do a daily roundup of the top five news stories that are coming out of Israel every day in English. And the idea is that everyone should be able to press play when they get up in the morning or when they, before they go to sleep. And in about 10 to 15 minutes, know what is going on in the Jewish state. And that's what I do. And I would not be able to do this interview with you, Jonathan, without adding something that happened, unfortunately, in between the time that I scheduled this interview with you and today, which is a horrific hostage takeover in a synagogue, a place of worship. This one always stings me the most because I go to synagogue almost every Saturday. And uh, it really disturbs me when I hear of any place of worship being taken over for evil. So please uh, explain to us. Well, first of all, I'll give everyone the news, just in case anybody doesn't know it. There were four hostages that were held in a synagogue in Texas by somebody who came from the U.K. into JFK, which I live, I am from Howard Beach, New York, so 10 minutes from JFK. He came into JFK. He went to Texas. He entered a synagogue on a Saturday. And in that time, he, for 11 hours, held people hostage. And I just want to ask you, Jonathan, how has it been for you being the, the mouth of American Jews and Jews are all around the world? You are flooded with media this week. You're talking on every platform. What has it been like for you to represent the Jewish community at, at this scary moment? Well, look, I mean, this has really been a, a very intense 72 you know, plus hours. Saturday afternoon, it's Shabbat. I don't work on Shabbat. I typically go to Shul on Shabbat like you. And I got a call around 2 in the afternoon 
from my chief of staff who said, you need to know, we got a call from the FBI about an emerging hostage crisis in Texas. And my, you know, the ADL is the oldest anti-hate group in the world, champ, have 25 offices, including one in Dallas. So my Dallas director immediately drove to the site. She knew that synagogue because we had done trainings in that synagogue. She knew Rabbi Charlie um, Citrone, who was the rabbi who was held hostage with his three congregants. And immediately we were there on site. Immediately we were liaisoning with the FBI because ADL's Center on Extremism tracks the extremists, right-wing extremists, left-wing radicals, like Islamists like this person, um, and trying to assess, do we know who this guy is? What's his digital footprint? Do we have a record? When he said on the live stream, we were watching the live stream, when he said on the live stream that he wanted to free his sister, Afia Siddiqui, we knew all about her. We have briefs we've written about her 11 years ago when she was tried. And, like, let's be clear, this woman is no friend. <laughs> like, this woman, Afia Siddiqui, is no prisoner of conscience. She's serving an 86-year sentence in a federal penitentiary for shooting at um, Americans, trying to kill them. And, by the way, uh, when she was being – when they were impaneling the jurors and doing jury selection, she said – out, she basically said out loud in the courtroom, I am, uh, I want all the jurors DNA-tically, sorry, DNA tested. See if any of them are Israelis or Zionists. That's what she said. And after the verdict was read, she was tried and convicted in America for trying to kill Americans. Okay. She said, this isn't a verdict in America, it's a verdict in Israel. Afia Siddiqui is, I believe, if you think that Israelis and Zionists are somehow subhuman, you are evil. I think if you believe that there's a Jewish conspiracy, right, to somehow harm Muslims or harm people or whatever, non-Jews. You are evil. And I think if you go into a synagogue that admitted you because they thought you were homeless, that gave you tea, that welcomed you, because you believed that the Jews were somehow control the media or control the government, and, that, and you're willing to kill those Jews, prove your point, you are evil. <clears throat> And so I've tried to make the case that, as this demonstrates, that anti-Semitism is a lethal virus that's killing our people. And we cannot afford to be complacent. We cannot afford to say, oh, wow, well, Afia Siddiqui is a prisoner of conscience. We can't afford to say, oh, it's only the right-wing extremists. Oh, it's only the left-wing radicals. Like, we need to embrace our allies and build relationships wherever we can. I believe there is safety and solidarity, as some like to say. However, there's also safety and security. <clears throat> and I got to say, like, if you deride, you, we have no choice but to have cameras and locks and walls. <clears throat> we have no choice but to track the extremists. And 
I will say this emphatically, without hesitation. Again, if you, whether you demonize the Jewish people or you demonize the Jewish state, that's hate and it's wrong. And it's wrong. So, um, you know, I'm seeing some of the hate right now. In, in, I, on the, I'm going to address that. It just, as, as far as I'm concerned, it only underscores that anti-Semitism is like, it's like an infection. But I don't think you get, I don't think the people who, you know, traffic in these tropes deserve our sympathy. I think they deserve our scorn. And I'm sorry, like, I don't think this kind of hateful messages, you know, I don't think they belong. I don't think the New York Times should print letters to the editor that are hateful. I don't think NBC News should run PSAs that are hateful. And I don't think Instagram should post messages that are hateful, period, end of story. So here is, we're having such a huge display right now of anti-Semitism. If you will just scroll through the comments on this Instagram Live, you will see the hate that is coming out in real time. And that's actually why I wanted to do this interview with you, Jonathan on Instagram. And this is the next, moving into the next part of our interview. I have, I have a couple pieces left. First of all, the Israel Daily News podcast had a thriving, successful Instagram page that I had been running with a team for about a year. And every day we posted clips from our podcast. So our podcast is 10 to 15 minutes, and every day we would post two 30-second clips. Our page for about three weeks has been removed we were not given an explanation, and I can't help but think that since they, the only reason that Instagram came up with was that we weren't following their community guidelines, which of course we were. We're a news site, a non-biased news site at that. I do my damned hardest not to include my opinion in any of my stories. I am a learned journalist. I went to school for this, and, and I take it very seriously. Somebody made a report and must have gotten our Instagram page taken down. And despite putting in two appeals, I have not been able to get and recover the Israel Daily News podcast Instagram. In addition to that, this week, Hillel Neuer, the executive director of UN Watch, which is a watchdog organization, had his Facebook compromised. He got a message saying that his posts were going to be limited in order that they couldn't be uh, seen by the regular number of people that follow him. And this is another issue. We are not only encountering anti-Semitism in real life with violence. We're encountering it in loads on the Internet, on TikTok, on Instagram. And even more, we're having people like myself who are simply telling news stories out of Israel and news about the Jewish people. We're being silenced. And I know that this is something that you're working at it on at the ADL. What do you, how do you respond to the, to the not a physical violence, but the online violence that Jews are experiencing? Well, there are a few things, right? So number one, I think, you know, I worked in Silicon Valley for many years. I incubated a venture inside Google. I'm very familiar. I've raised money on Sand Hill Road. I've managed teams of engineers. I've built software products. Like, I know this world pretty well. And I think social media, technology generally, the Internet broadly and social media specifically has done so much good connecting people across cultures and, you know, uh, cultures and countries in ways that you could never imagine. Like I mentioned my wife, you know, who hasn't been back to Iran 
since whatever middle school or high school like she's connected with old classmates because of i think facebook i mean it's amazing and she can never go back because of the islamic because of the fascist regime you know the clique running the country in tehran would arrest her on the spot since they wouldn't let her i mean she had to sneak out of the country because she was a jew they weren't letting jews leave when she did um that being said for all the good it's done the level of toxicity that Facebook and the social media services have contributed is unbelievable. It's like a vector of disease that's on 24-7 being intravenously fed into billions and billions of people. And so ADL, you know, look, we opened a center in Silicon Valley in 2017. We were the first civil rights group, Savers Jewish group, with a presence right there in the valley. You know, the guy we brought in to run it, we recruited out of Reddit. He's a software engineer. I mean, he's not like a Jewish communal professional. And we're building tech. I have, I have computer scientists with expertise in AI and natural language processing and machine learning working here. Um, but the reality is, is that though we can build tech and we do a lot of research, uh, the reality is, is that we've got to get these platforms under control. We've got to get these platforms to leverage and utilize the same kind of guidelines that any other media outlet does and to apply those guidelines consistently. So sites like yours aren't taken off, whereas, you know, the right-wing stuff, the Islamist stuff, like, I don't know how you, I mean, I had a big debate with Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank on uh, CNBC a few months ago when the Taliban had their channels up and running on Twitter. Like, I don't think, again, my view is that I believe in free speech. I mean, we're a civil rights organization, the ADL. We've been doing this work longer than anyone on this Instagram has been alive. Literally. Literally. I can say that with certainty. We were founded in 1913, almost 110 years ago. That being said, like, I think we just need to be honest with each other. Freedom of speech is not the freedom to slander people. Freedom of expression isn't the freedom to incite violence against others. And while I believe that we need to, in the, under the rubric of free speech, accommodate for all kinds of, even hard speech, even tough conversations, things we don't like, we need to make sure we take the lunatic fringe and keep them on the fringe. Absolutely. Thank you for going there. Thank you for, first of all, it's very exciting to hear that there is technology being produced and people that are working on this exact issue in Silicon Valley because it's not small. And it's not something to be left to the side. This is an emerging, developing industry that's only going to get bigger. And that's why I invite you to come here on Instagram and speak to me here versus in any other platform. I think that it's extremely, it's extremely important. And I also want you to be able to reach people that are in my age category that are experiencing news here on Instagram. Now, we wouldn't be the Israel Daily News if I didn't bring Israel into this conversation. And what I originally wanted to ask you is where are Jews – supposed to go if not for the united states the united states is supposed to be a beacon of democracy it was a place where jews once ran to and left everything behind i moved to israel because i believe that i'm rescuing my future family i believe that i'm saving the next generations uh my last name is fold it is a we we also were german jews from a little riverside community called fulda in germany 
And I, and just like my grandfather uh, came to the United States, he actually came to Astoria, Queens with just his mom. Um, I also believe that I'm coming here by myself to Israel in an effort to at least have a second passport, have a backup plan, have a plan B. Should uh, My cousin is coming here because I'm here. My sisters are thinking about coming here because I'm here. But my question for you is, is Israel the only, the only plan B for Jews around the world? And, and can this little tiny country manage the entire Jewish population of the world? And the other question is, do they want to? Are they ready to come here? You have to have a thick skin, as I'm sure you could imagine. I'm sure you've made a few trips to, to Israel. It may be the Holy Land, but it's not easy to live here. What is the Jewish well, population going to do? Well, look, I mean, I think America is, has been plan B for the Jewish people for the last 250 years. And from George Washington visiting a shoal in Rhode Island, you know, when he was the, first, the inaugural president of this great country, to the fact that our current president, uh, his vice president, he has Jewish grandchildren. Our vice president is married to a Jewish man, and she has Jewish stepchildren. I mean, like, it's remarkable to think that this we as a people have come so far. And, look, I, I believe America has been and always will be a great place for the Jewish community. And yet there are real challenges here. We're foolish to not recognize them. But I wrote this book. I wrote my book because I think while it could happen here, it doesn't have to. Like, I think this tide of this torrent of hate can be turned around. I believe that. Now, let me be crystal clear. I deeply believe I'm, a, I'm an unapologetic Zionist. Let me say that abundantly clearly for your entire audience. I am an unapologetic Zionist, period, end of story. And I think it's incredibly admirable when Jews decide to make Aliyah. But I think the Jewish people have the right to live like all other people wherever they want. I think my wife and her family should not have had to flee for their lives from Iran. I think my grandfather and his family, well, my grandfather and his family didn't make it out, shouldn't have had to flee from Germany. I think my board, I mean, I think that the reality is, is that Jews should have the rights to live anywhere they want. And when I say that, like, I, I mean, I'm someone who ardently believes, John, in a two-state solution. I think the only way to have an equitable and long-term and durable resolution to the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, is for Israelis to live with safety and security and for Palestinians to live with dignity and equality. I believe that in a state of their own. I believe that. Now, the PA has its problems, you know, and there's complexity to getting a deal done. But my hope is, my God hope, my God, my, my hope to Hashem is that it will happen one day. And I don't think me being an unapologetic, ardent Zion, Zionist means I really want that Palestinian state to happen. It just does. And I have, don't have to apologize for that. At the same time, to those people who would conflate, you know, Zionism with racism, I, rec I see you for your racism, and I will call it out every time. Okay, because thank you. So you're you all Jews. You deserve to be denigrated yourself. That's bigotry, plain and simple. And, 
it should be called out for that. It's hate. So your concept in It Could Happen Here is to let people know that anti-Semitism is unfolding and to try to stop it before it gets to a, a point of no return in a way. But how should people be combating this? How should we be prepared for this? And what should people who are working at a tech company in Israel or uh, working in as a babysitter in New York or working in Texas or anywhere, what should we be doing on a day-to-day -day basis to That's feel safe? So literally the book is like a blueprint for what you should do. Whether you are a teacher or an educator, whether you are in a, in a company, whether you are a faith leader or involved in like a faith community, whether you are an elected official. Like the book literally has tactics and tips. It's like 100 years of ADL distilled into 250 pages. So you really got to get the book. <laughs> But what I will say is that there are a few things that all of us can do. Number one, you've got to call out hate when it happens. Even when, particularly when, that hate comes from a member of your own tribe. If you're a right, a conservative person caught out on the right. If you're a person, a progressive person, caught out when it comes from the left. If you're a person of faith, caught out when someone from your religion, from your house of worship engages in antisemitism. Like, I don't think racism is only a black person's problem. It's my problem, too. And anti-Semitism isn't just my issue. It's a black person's problem, too. So we have to call out hate whenever it happens. That's number one. And number two, we have to recognize that I think there's no silver bullet. Like, it's not, is that a magic wand we can wave? So we've got to engage people and educate them. I strongly believe that. Thirdly, I think that we've got to recognize that just because Jews present, like, especially, you know, I, like, I think we should cancel, cancel culture entirely. We should move to what my friend Nick Cannon calls council culture. I mean, we believe, we're, as Jewish people, we believe in tshuva. So everyone has a chance to redeem themselves. So even when you make an error, even when you have an active they do is hate, we should point it out and give the person a chance to acknowledge apologize and be redeemed. Everyone can do that. I just don't think you cancel people altogether. Now, if you're okay. a serial offender, or again, you use social media to continue to troll and harass Jews, right, then I do think you should be banished, just like we would in any other platform. Because that, again, like someone who knowingly engages in intolerance should be tolerated. Um, and then finally, I think, you know, get involved, get activated. Like, I don't care whether it's running for the, you know, showing up at a school board meeting or it's, you know, getting involved in your synagogue, your community, but everybody should be flexing their civic muscles to build the beloved community that we need. Thank you. And I think that that is true. Each and every person has the power. And uh, that's why we're here. So I want to take this opportunity now. First of all, thank you for laying out all your points and how we can progress as a society. And um, I want to open the floor for anyone who has a question for Jonathan. There is a little question box in the bottom right of the screen. I'm going to check it. No questions yet. Some people did write their questions in the chat, but we actually have 55 people on our chat right now, so I can't go back through all of the comments. Does anybody else have a question? If so, put it in the box. We have a comment here from someone saying, read Jonathan's book. It is a great book for this moment in time. And I can attest to that. When in reading your book, I thought, wow, this is so current. 
it was almost as if you were you were writing history as you were publishing this book. I mean, the the references that you had in there were were very very recent. So I recommend that everybody read it as soon as they can. Let me check. If anybody has a question, let us know. There were a couple people that wrote questions. I'm just going to give people a minute to to put questions in the box, Jonathan. All right. Okay, so we're going to take this one question. In the meantime, if anyone else has a question, put it in the box. Jonathan, how can we make Holocaust education mandatory in all 50 states? So I think one of the things we found is that Holocaust education definitely has a demonstrable impact on decreasing levels of it. I think there are things that can happen. Um, we, are, we actually helped get legislation passed in the Congress in 2020 called the Never Again Education Act to do just this, laying the groundwork to create and my offices across the United States, ADL has 25 offices operating across America, is looking to push on making Holocaust education mandatory state by state. And by Thank the way, so Holocaust, Holocaust and genocide education. Kids have to learn about the Holocaust as a singular catastrophe in human history. They also should be learning about the Rwandan genocide and the, Bos uh, the Bosnian genocide and the Armenian genocide. And I say that because... It's not – the Holocaust was a unique and singular, you know, low point in human history, the systematic extermination of European Jewry. There are also other terrible situations that kids can learn about, and it just helps them to educate why anti-Semitism and all forms of hate are unacceptable. Absolutely. Now, we have another question specifically about your book. Would you recommend middle school and high school students read your book? Yes. Certainly high school students. I mean, it's written, I know my kids have read it. It's written for that audience, and I think they can handle it. Great. And by the way, high school teachers should read the book. School principals should read the book. Parents should read the book so they can learn how to deal with their kids when they come home with issues or when things happen in a classroom or in a locker room or on the playing field or with the student organization. Okay, we have another question. We have an Israel-focused question now, and I think that is interesting. There is a big conflation that Jews are white, and by proxy, Israel and Jews are white supremacists. How do we overcome this? Well, look, it's bananas. Not only is it, it's not bananas, because that's like implying it just happened. It's bigoted to say that Jews are white supremacists. It's anti-Semitic to take the fact that anti-Semitism, which is at the core of white supremacy, and to try to take the hatred directed against us and somehow accuse us of that. It's, that's an evil, ugly thing to do, and it should be called out as such. Now, the reality is, is that, sure, like, and I also would suggest to you that race is like a very, you know, United States-centric social construct. You know, my wife grew up in Iran. They didn't have the views of race that we do. And, you know, my family in Israel don't have the notions of race that we do. And so on and so forth. I mean, it's just insane. But so trying to impose a U.S.-centric, like, socially, you know, social construction on the Middle East conflict is at best unhelpful and at worst, again, promotes the very kind of intolerance you're supposedly trying to deal with. Now, it's certainly true, like in the United States, I present as white, but my kids don't. My kids are dark-skinned. I mean, they're, maybe, they're not white enough for the white supremacists, 
and you know my kids and but like my kids present that way but there are plenty of Jews of color to whom this is incredibly insulting so Absolutely. i just foisting foisting something as a again this like this kind of like social construct on um american jews sorry on american jews and jews all over the world is ridiculous and calling israel white supremacists demonstrates it's not ignorant it's intolerant and it's evil and it's wrong and it's prejudiced period end of story that is to say by the way that israel doesn't have challenges with color if you will within its own country just like every country on the planet including in africa including in asia including in south america but uh, again to suggest that it's white supremacist is evil it's anti-semitic and it's wrong period end of story for sure certainly if someone would come to israel they would see that jews are, exist in every color um i host events every monday night here in tel aviv and we have a such a wide variety of people from different places all with jewish backgrounds I'm going to ask a question from uh, from one of the comments. Tell us about some recent ADL actions and what were your challenges in pushing them forward? Maybe you have two recent ones that you just pushed through with your team that you're proud of. Well, I'll tell you what. I was humbled, humbled and honored when Rabbi Charlie, who was taken hostage with his congregants in Texas, in his first interview after his release on Monday morning on CBS Morning News. He said, we are alive today because of the training we got from the FBI, law enforcement, and the ADL. Because ADL worked with Rabbi Charlie and his congregation for years. So that's an ADL action. The kind of training we provide that I was very proud of. <clears throat> I'm proud of the work we've done to make, you know, to get, whole, to get Facebook to recognize Holocaust denial as hate speech. We did that as well. That was... Um, 2020, not 2120. I'm proud of, so that's a good thing, because we organized a walkout on Facebook with some of the, you know, with some of the biggest companies on the planet, Coke, McDonald's, Starbucks, uh, Levi's, Hershey's, VW, Honda, they all joined ADL and got off the planet, they got off the platform. And then we organized a walkout of celebrities on Instagram, Sasha Baron Cohen, Michael B. Jordan, Kim Kardashian, Leo DiCaprio, they all joined ADL and got off the platform. And then after those actions, Facebook decided to classify Holocaust denialism as hate speech. So I'm proud of that, too. Um, those are two things off the top of my head. Well, those are two very, very important things, especially being that the training that you, your organization provided to this synagogue ended up saving people's lives. Um, unfortunately, it came to that. And I just want to say thank you so much for doing that training. Before we go, I just want to ask you, how do you decide which synagogues are going to receive the training? Why did that Texas synagogue stand they out? They wanted help, wanted help for, for support. I mean, we know that the person targeted that synagogue because it was located close to the federal penitentiary where this, you know, this the al-Qaeda operative was being held. That's how... This, this man chose it. It was a deliberate selection. But we work with, you know, hundreds if not thousands of synagogues across the country. They simply raise their hand. I mean, that's, that's how that happens. And synagogues, people who are watching, who want their synagogue to work with our organization, 
just go to ADL.org or you can ping us on our, on our Instagram channel. And Great. I'm sure, again, we have more reach than any other group, I think, in the United States. We'd be happy to contact your synagogue and to uh, try to be helpful. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us today. I answered as many questions in our question box as I could. And I just want to welcome everyone to first follow my personal page at Shanafold. I'm a journalist. I live in Israel. I am from New York. I do international stories. Mostly now I'm focusing on Israel current events. And I also want to welcome everyone to follow the ADL page. We are, you can go to the top of your screen and click that little down arrow and you'll see both of our profiles there where you can follow myself and you can follow Jonathan's organization. Again, Jonathan Greenblatt is the CEO of the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. His book is out. It is called? It Could Happen Here. Where can we find it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right behind me. Here. Here it is. But where can we find it to buy it? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere online. It's being sold all over. So, All right, Tiana, thank you for the time today. I enjoyed it. Be all good. All right, everyone. Care. Happy New Year. All right, everyone. Thank you to those of you who stayed with us for the entire program, and thank you to all of you who submitted thoughtful questions. Again, my name is Shanna Fold, and I'm the host of the Israel Daily News podcast. You can find my show on Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere that you might hear a podcast, and you can also follow my page at Shanna Fold. Hopefully, we will have the Israel Daily News podcast page up again on Instagram. We're fighting to get it back, and we're going to keep you posted on that. Keep it here. Follow us on the podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thanks, everyone, and have a great rest of your Wednesday.